The Athletic. Totally football show today. Arsenal failed to screw the pooch in front of man from Turner and Hooch. Meanwhile, it's hard on the city as Steve Cooper's wood gives Gunners unexpected boners. We talk Saints beating Chelsea, a Man United hot takes on the takeovers and Saturdays and James's. Liverpool celebrate with Pope holding mess ahead of big night of wafer action. It's another busy, busy Totally Football show. Monday, 20th of February, and here we are with Totally. Listen, I know you've got things to do, so we'll make this quick. Tim Spears in. Hey, Tim. Hi, James. Fresh from Spurs West Ham. Spurs West Ham. Yeah, yeah quite an afternoon. Adrian Clark is on Zoom. Hi, Adrian. Hello, James. You've had a busy weekend, Adrian. I have, yeah. Thoroughly enjoyed that second half at Villa Park. Also took my little girl to her first ever football match, so exciting times. Oh, right. The same football match that Daniel Story also joins us on Zoom, was at, Daniel. I refer to the Arnold Clark Cup, uh, in which England beat Italy 2-1. Yes, and then Belgium beat South Korea 2-1. And it was the first double header I've been to in about 20 years, I think. It was really good. Brilliant. Who was Arnold Clark? I think it's a car manucella. That's my guess. A car okay. showroom, I believe. They were but, giving so out... Th- they were giving out Big foam yellow hands and big yellow sunglasses outside the ground, which is why everyone looked manic inside. Brilliant. This was, anyway, England's uh, women's team beating the Italian women's team. And then later on, as you mentioned, Belgium and South Korea. Was there then a subsequent match between England and Belgium? Or That is coming on uh, Wednesday in Bristol. Um, right. Another double header. They're doing them all as double headers. We should say it was England reserves beat Italy's first team in effect because Italy played a weaker team in the opening game. So it's a yeah, good good for Serena Wiegmann. She's converted Rachel Daly, her Euros left back, into a striker, and she scored two headers, which is mighty impressive. How many? How, are there any other players that that flip between full back and centre forward? Seriously, in, in um, football, Gareth just... Bale. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't, he's yeah, done you there. I, yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll give you that. Um, I'll give you that. Uh, Although he's not he, he, he a, a, no. a target man centre forward. No, but yeah, yeah, Ivan Perisic as well. He's, he's done that a little bit this season. Oh, okay, sorry, Ooh, Adrian, John Charles. John Charles, well centre back. Yeah, there's yeah. a few of those. Paul Warhurst did centre back to forward. Right, um, vote Veghorst. Just give it, give it time. It'll happen. <laughs> uh, anyway, oh well, that, that's lovely. Uh, and did you? I mean, Adrian, did uh, did your little girl enjoy the day out? Really did, yeah. Evie, she she had like she didn't get bored. That was that was the that was the the key sort of test. Would she last ninety minutes? But she was fully engaged. I think she was pleased that I bought a, a, an England woolly uh, England bobble hat and scarf. So she was mm. she was delighted with that. But yeah, no, she was into it. It's good. Brilliant. I can take it to Arsenal now. Me and uh, me and Daniel are back to our, our Zoom relationship of old. Um, I'd never met Daniel before, mm. and then uh, a week or so ago, I saw him in Leicester, mm. and then four days later, I saw him in Milan. Wow! Uh, so yeah, well, you know, you, know you, you don't meet Daniel's story for years, and then and then and then <laughs> two, two of them along at once, on. as they say. <laughs> so, I hear, yeah. I hear. All right, well, let's check on the scores, uh, the key results from this weekend in the Premier League, Arsenal. Twice went behind away at Villa, but emerged for two victors. Their first win that in four matches. It puts them back two points clear at the top of the table with a game in hand because Man City got held 1-1 at Forest. Man United, meanwhile, were 3-0 winners against Leicester. They stay third amid talk of takeover, while Spurs overtake Newcastle into fourth after their win over West Ham and Newcastle's defeat to Liverpool, who themselves move up to eighth. Liverpool now seven points off the top four with two games in hand. Chelsea, meanwhile, stay down in tenth, losing at home to bottom of the table managerless Southampton. Saints stay bottom of the table, three points from safety. Alongside them in the bottom three, West Ham and Leeds, who got beaten by Everton as Sean Dyche picks up his second win in three. Where to begin? At Villa Park. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Martinelli. 
Five in the box, Arsenal. It's rolled back to Jorginho. It's in. Jorginho scores for Arsenal, who snatched the lead in stoppage time. And what a difference those two points could make. It may go down as an own goal of the Villa keeper Emiliano Martinez because it hit the bar, it hit the keeper, it went in. Arsenal don't care how it got there. They lead in the most dramatic circumstances. What a moment that was. What a moment that could prove to be. Arsenal, who'd had a loss to Everton, a draw with Brentford and defeats to Man City, winless in four. It looked like this was the moment that gravity caught up with the Gunners, as we all guessed it would do. So at halftime at Villa Park, trailing 2-1, the question was, I think, across the nation, how bad is this slump going to become? But Adrian, Arsenal had other plans. They did. It was a, it was a very, very impressive second-half performance. Put it in context to, to what we saw up until half-time. Just two shots, defended really poorly as a side. And suddenly... They rediscovered themselves and, and they had 18 shots in that second half alone, which is quite remarkable. I think it's the second highest in a single half of football um, this season. Absolutely brilliant. And, and and by rediscovering themselves, I think they just remembered what a good team they can be, what, what good spirit they've got and how when they attack with intent and play with confidence and drive and purpose, they... They can they can tear most teams apart. So yeah, it was really really pleasing to see them produce that in in a moment of proper adversity. Because at half time, mm. most Gooners were were on their knees. Yeah, I think we expected them to buckle. Instead, they brought the swash. Hey, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, they did, and they also dealt pretty well with some fairly emphatic time wasting from Emmy Martinez from. It's not as if the adversity didn't continue in the second half. It's not as if Villa kind of lay down and Arsenal just sort of rolled over them. Um, they had to wait till late. They had to crank up that pressure. Yes, there's a huge element of luck in the in the first in the third goal. You know, the, effectively the winning goal. But it did feel like they were able to crank up the pressure while still dealing with a, a Villa threat because Villa were still you know Villa were a threat the whole the way through the game. Mm. Uh, and yeah, I mean that image of of Martinez kind of wasting four or five minutes over at least with his time wasting and then getting kind of that instant karmic punch in the balls was was quite funny for a neutral. Right. I mean, there were some tremendous goals in that, not least the own goal off, I think, his head. Mm. Mm. Yeah, nice little cushion header. But taking it back, so Ollie Watkins opens the scoring five minutes in, applauded by Tom Hanks. Saka, though, coming back with an excellent volleyed equaliser. Then you had Buendiaz setting up Cucinha for his first season. Then another equaliser from Zinchenko. Woof. What was your favourite goal of this? I really liked that that second Villa goal, actually. Um, you know, the the suggestion being obviously that Buendia and Coutinho can't play together, but but beautifully combined for that one moment. Although Coutinho didn't do a huge amount else in the game, but Villa looked really good for it, and and it, that, that did kind of fit the narrative of of Emery getting one over on Arsenal. Um, and in fact, you know what? The, the, even despite Arsenal's fantastic second half, I mean, in 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 the midst of of everyone sort of laughing at Martinez. It's easily forgotten that Ramsdale actually made one of the one of the saves of the season um, from Leon Bailey in the eighty-something minute, which you know, in the context of the title race, could turn out to be an absolutely crucial moment. It was it was a phenomenal save, which I think got a bit lost amid amid what happened after that. All right, and what happened after that? We should give a bit of love as well to Saka's phenomenal volley. Yeah, I mean, he he's he's becoming one of those players where you easily underestimate how consistently well he's playing because it's com it's completely the norm now you forget about the age you forget about the pressure you forget about what he's kind of been through with England and at times with Arsenal with some of the physical treatment he gets that quite often seems to go unpunished because he just rises above it and seems to sort of bob along the surface like as if he's 28 years old and been doing this for a decade he is a remarkable young man and I think Again, I think in the in the Marcus Rashford kind of redemption arc, not that he needed one. We've we've maybe underestimated the the Bakayo Saka redemption arc, not that he needed one, because the way those two have stepped up this season is like nothing else, and it, they're a credit to, to to English football and the England national team because they are now the leaders of it. Mm. They're two of the nicest lads you can meet in in professional football as well. I think Bakayo Saka and Marcus Rashford. So. 
So yeah, no, he is. He's putting up with a lot of physical punishment. He really is. I mean, there was one point where he almost signalled to the bench, I'm going to have to come off here. They just kept kicking him. The referee kept ignoring it. And and this has been the story of, of the season, really. Opponents are really taking it too far, in my opinion, on Bukayo Saka. And he needs more protection. Um, a word on Jorginho as well, I think. Obviously, that, that goal was, was a brilliant moment for him. But I also thought he played really well. I thought he's passing was outstanding. Lots of excellent forward passes. So many people labelled him unfairly, in my opinion, as, a, as some sort of crab-like player that only goes sideways. But I don't believe that. I don't buy that. Saw a lot of progressive forward passes in the game. And yeah, I thought he was excellent. And and it's a great stat um, that I found out at the weekend. Arsenal haven't won a Premier League game outside of London that they were losing at half-time since December 2009. Wow. When they came back against Liverpool. So this was not the norm for Arsenal on the road to come back in the way that they did. So, yeah, I think the players will feel really proud of themselves. The, the other stat I, I picked out this weekend for Arsenal is that going back before the start of this year, about roughly five or six, I think it's about five and a half years, they'd won two Premier League games with goals in stoppage time. Mm. And this year already they've done it against Manchester United with Eddie Nketiah's goal and they've now done it against Aston Villa. So... When Zinchenko at the end of the game talks about resilience, it's not just words. You know, they are proving that on the pitch. And yeah, that will give them an advantage in the title race because Manchester City seems to be conceding goals late on and mm-hmm. Arsenal are scoring them. Let's talk about those final minutes though, Adrian. You were talking about Arsenal fans expecting to buckle. They didn't in the second half, but the goal wouldn't come. All those chances piling up. And of course, you're thinking it's not going to be our day. So when Jorginho lines up that shot, what t- talk us through your emotions? <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, there were there were limbs in the studio that I was working in. Let me tell you, but no, it was, I think the Odegaard miss mm. was was such a moment, wasn't it? At the time, it it was beautifully made by Nketiah with the press, and he has to score. And you think, oh my goodness. The narrative now is that Arsenal really have blown the title race. They've choked on it and the captain is the guilty party. So so I think I was feeling particularly low and frustrated. And then it was this sort of euphoric moment. But but the fact that it comes off of Emi Martinez's head it was just just glorious from, from anyone of an Arsenal persuasion. Because aside from the time wasting on the day, which was criminally overlooked by the referee, he's been very chirpy for a very long time now and he said an awful lot of negative things about Arsenal he's an incredibly confident person and he was really popular while he was at Arsenal everyone really loved him particularly behind the scenes but but he felt hard done by and I think there's a little bit of bitterness there that that they chose Leno over Martinez which was probably the wrong decision um, but he has been able, unable to let that go um, so so it was a really really sweet moment for, for Gunners and, and it was yeah it was a, it was a classic karma right karma and then his, his confidence manifesting shortly afterwards when he decided to venture upfield <laughs> without the up. permission of Unai Emery we should say mm. who there were some reports in December that Emery was a bit not fully enamoured with, with Martinez and uh, he, he was pretty blunt after the game in saying I'd, I'd, I'd tell my goalkeepers not to do that and he chose to do that himself it's not helpful I think he was also a bit annoyed about the time wasting um, Why though? Seriously, on on Martinez, what's the what's the issue? You're going to lose three two. It's the last minute of the match. What difference does it make trying to level it three three than than losing four two? Well, yeah, but I think basically his point was that you are far more likely to concede another goal than you are for the goalkeeper to score. And actually, sometimes if you've got if you get your set pieces right and you've got a plan. You don't plan for having a goalkeeper charging around right. in the box. And- well, this was the point they made on 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 match the day after the the, the, the Linicarico was saying that a goalkeeper mm. just gets in the way. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, you know, Adrian's point might well be valid that it's worth a go, but mm. I think Emery's point is well, fine. You can disagree with my ideas, but these are my ideas, mm. and I am the manager. And if I t- if I don't want my goalkeeper going up the corners, <laughs> and he does, it doesn't necessarily suggest that he's got his emotions in check. He's trying to make up for the header he's just scored at the other end <laughs> although from a spectator's point of view nothing finer than seeing a keeper going up the other end for a last chance uh, attempt when it comes off 
Extraordinary. Yeah. Tim, are you allowing your keepers to go up for? A- yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I think any Liverpool fan would would, would agree right. with that as well. Given you know, Alisson helping qualify for the Champions League with by, by doing just that. Um, but but no, we love that. We love those moments of chaos. And then obviously, you know, talking of controlling emotions, you've got uh, Martin Elliott at the other end celebrating before he scored, which is just a, just a beautiful moment. Sort of like a, a jockey ten furlongs clear at the end of the national, <laughs> or you know? um, um, or a breakaway rider on the Tour de France. 200 yeah, metres yeah. from the yeah. line, yeah. unzipping the thing to show the sponsor's yeah, logo and uh, and misjudging the line and somebody else sweeps past, yeah. But there, there were great scenes. I mean, I don't know if Adrian agrees, but it feels like Arsenal's biggest win of the season for me. Mm. You know, if, if they'd have gone five without a win in all competitions mm. and, uh, you know, we know what Man City are capable of in terms of steamroll and clear at the top of the league. So it would have felt like a real, real body blow if they'd, if they'd lost that game, you know, let alone draw it, which they came so close to doing. Let's talk about City then, because you mentioned what Arsenal supporters would have been feeling at half-time, Adrian. What would, what would City have been thinking? Seeing Arsenal losing, a trip to Forest for themselves, three points they'll pick up there, no doubt. And, and, and there they'll be, three points clear at the, uh, at, the, at the top of the table. Instead, though, Daniel, a Nottingham Forest team with their two first-half centre-backs out... Managed to hold City to a to a draw with that late late. Was that the only shot you had on on target the entire game? Yeah, I believe Christian? so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, magnificent. Yeah, and we sh- I mean we should say um, City missed quite a few chances, but um, Felipe has been brilliant in the two games since since joining from Atletico Madrid. He's made a difference, not least because he's a fit central defender. Um, and the goal Forrest scored was a thing of absolute beauty. It was all eleven players touching the ball in the move. It was. You, you watch the, the, the video back with the commentary and you can hear a Forest coach shout forward really loud about half a second before Forest changed the pace and clicked forward. The biggest bonus for Nottingham Forest is that they're still in this with about 10 minutes left to play. Johnson and still Gibbs White, chance, one one. Chris Wood is there for Forrest! Incredible! It's that combination of Johnson and Gibbs-White again and they are they are enough. City were unfortunate, they were unlucky, but they missed chances and mm-hmm. they've got a real problem now with conceding shots on target, basically. They, City have faced 14 shots on target in their last eight games and eight of those have been goals. Good now, Lord. Some of, some, think that, some of that's about concentration and allowing really high quality chances and nothing Edison could do about Chris Wood standing on the line onside to score but he's he's got the third worst save percentage in the Premier League this season I think he's ahead of only Bazuna at Southampton and Mark Travers who's Bournemouth number two so something's going wrong there I don't know if it's just a concentration thing or he's just you know he's not having that much to do so he's not ready but yeah they're, they're conceding lots and lots of their shots on target why do you think that is? I think Edison is having his worst season as a Manchester City player. No doubt about that. He's he's normally super reliable. He's normally in in the positive when it comes to goals prevented, according to the the optometrics. But but this year he's he's on minus. And and as Daniel said, he's he's got one of the worst records in the division. Don't expect that from from Edison. Why are teams creating better quality chances against them? There's a lot of fiddling going on with that defence, isn't there, again? I, I mean, it probably happens every year with, with Pep, but for him to have used Bernardo Silva in that hybrid central midfield left-back position the other night against Arsenal and then described it as horrible tactics and to then do it again at Forest is just so Pep, isn't it? It's it's quite stubborn. And and as brilliant as that goal was, and it was unbelievable from Forest's point of view, great team goal, Bernardo is... Is taken out of the game by a really bad decision inside the left-back domain. It then panics everyone behind him. Laporte doesn't know what to do. Then Rodri, I don't know what Rodri's doing. He's scared to scared to touch the player. It's a chain chain reaction that sets off. But it's Bernardo put under pressure in the left in an unfamiliar left-back berth that sparks the chaos. And I, I just think, yeah, this experimentation is going to cost them a few goals if it continues. Mm-hmm. There's more drop points on the road. They've now failed to win four of their last five away games, including losses at Man United, Spurs and Saints. And they're at Leipzig on Wednesday. Oh, where they lost 2-1 to 
last season in the group stage of the Champions League, but that was at the end of the, the set of six matches. So they, I mean, they'd already beaten them 6-3 at the Etihad. But the fellow who scored a hat-trick uh, that night in Manchester, Christopher Nkunku, is actually, he's just come back at the weekend after three months out. Uh, and uh, we set up one of the goals in their 3-0 win over Wolfsburg. Anyway, RB Leipzig. And I think an important thing to note in the next sort of batch of fixtures before the international break is that, you know, City have got, as you mentioned, uh, Champions League to contend with. They're also, they're also in the FA Cup as well, so they've got eight games before the international break. Um, whereas Arsenal, you know, and, uh, in the midst of this sort of slightly indifferent form and, and tinkering with the defence and whatnot, whereas Arsenal have just got five league games and they play Leicester, Everton, Bournemouth, Fulham and Palace before the international break. If they can find, you know, the momentum and the rhythm that they did before Christmas and go on a run and win maybe four of those five, you can imagine they'll be in, in a really, really good position before the international break. Mm. Well, old don't scab cans, nice moniker, uh, asked, can Ten Hag United chase down Man City? We'll maybe get onto that question next. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by LiveScore Bet. With Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet, you can combine markets from thousands of options to create your own bet on the biggest football fixtures in the Premier League, the Champions League, the EFL, and around the world. So if you think you can successfully pick the first goal scorer, the final score, the total number of corners, and whether there'll be a red card, then use Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet to make up to six selections and get a single bet with the combined odds. Or if you can't make up your mind, you can choose from the pre-built quick bet options. Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet. Building a bet just got easier. Find out more at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScore Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only. Full account terms apply. And of course, please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Joining us now on the Totally Football Show is Laurie Whitwell to talk Man United. Laurie, a fine win against Leicester at the weekend, a delicate second leg with Barcelona on the way and an exciting set of prospective new owners to get depressed about. Let's start with them, the soft deadline passed on Friday. Who's in and might there be other names joining them? Yeah, it was a soft deadline, as you say, James, so... We could still see more bids come in. Uh, the Glazers, I'm sure, wouldn't be um, dissatisfied at an auction developing and you know US hedge fund perhaps making a play for the club. Uh, that would raise the price uh, that they're after. Um, but yeah, we got two bids on the Friday. We weren't actually sure how much would be publicised um, on that day because uh, it wasn't a sort of set in stone. They have to have their bids in by this point. But the Qataris obviously wanted to get their... Uh, bid proposal out into the public domain and kind of sense the fan mood, I think. Um, so this is Sheikh Jassim's bid. Um, it's a private investor. So that's the way that they, I suppose, avoid any issues with UEFA over the PSG ownership uh, structure. Um, and uh, it's yeah, he's, he's doing it through a foundation called the 9-2 Foundation, which I think is a fairly uh, new um, construct. Um, we've done a bit of research and uh, I think there should be a piece coming out soon from Matt Slater, but his father, the former Prime Minister of Qatar, is, is a, a very wealthy man uh, privately and we think that he's heavily involved in this. Um, he was very close to the former Emir, the current Emir's father. So, you know, the kind of seat of power is uh, apparent in this bid uh, from from you know Sheikh, Sheikh Jassim. Not a lot is known about him, so we're kind of still working on trying to find out a bit more detail. Even in Qatar, I don't think he's a particularly well-known figure. Uh, and then Sir Jim Ratcliffe is the other bid, which we all knew was coming. Um, it's interesting that he 
didn't publicise that officially until after the Qatari bid and this kind of a bit of a debate about whether he should have tried to seize the momentum first and, and kind of got his story out there, you know, being the, the kind of local Manchester boy um, who uh, will try and, I guess, as, as he's put in his statement, um, put the Manchester back in Manchester United. Um, so, yeah, two distinct bids, very different um, ways of thinking about it and, and has been divisive amongst the fan base. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of quite a, a toxic tribalism out there at the moment certainly online about who they want to take over the club does it just come down to price or is there any suggestion that there will be a kind of qualitative approach as to who the new owners are going to be I think given it's the Glazers that are running this show and Rain, the merchant bank who they've enlisted uh, to try and get the best price uh, I think yeah money will talk uh, loudest um yeah, in an ideal world, you'd hope that they would try and engage with the prospective buyers and, and get them on board with, you know, a guaranteed investment in the stadium or uh, certain uh, ways of going about the club, having that community link. I mean, th- these are things that Ratcliffe and uh, Sheikh Jassim have, have mentioned, but I guess, you know, it's easy to kind of put them in a press conference, a press release, sorry, uh, before uh, actually getting your, your tea stuck into it. But I do think that, yeah, the Glazers ultimately want the highest price. And, and we are told that if they don't get that price, they are, you know, it's not beyond the realms that they don't walk away from this. You know, mm. um, I think Rain have, have looked at 6 billion to 7 billion as their, as their target, and I think at the moment both the bids from Sheikh Jassim and, and um, Sir Jim Ratcliffe are, are below that. So it'll be interesting if there's negotiation there, or if the Glazers do have a kind of firm requirement. Because beyond sort of their own, you know, the, the kind of broad picture of, of them as a collective, there is division amongst the family. We're told, you know, Joel and Avram um, are kind of more wedded to United and, and not as. Um, sort of, I don't know, uh, sort of eager to, to relinquish control of the club, whereas the other four siblings have kind of long wanted to, to cash in their chips, really. So um, that's another debate amongst the family to have. Okay, this one could be rumbling for a while. In the more immediate future, you've got Barcelona turning up at uh, the crumbling Old Trafford <laughs> on Thursday after that 2 2 draw away in Catalonia. What did you make of that game? And uh, what do you think of United's prospects? I thought it was a really entertaining game. Um, I was surprised actually by the quality level of it because these are kind of two clubs that you know historically have been, you know, huge names in in European football at the, at the top end Champions League finals they've contested. Um, they're not quite that vintage, but they both feel like they're on a trajectory that could get them there under under really promising managers. Um, so I was actually sort of pleasantly surprised at the the quality and, and the kind of end-to-end nature of it um, they both were trying to win the game it ebbed and flowed didn't it um, we had some great moments of skill particularly for Marcus Rashford you had Wout Vegost in the number 10 role which caused a surprise I think even for Xavi I don't think he was expecting that and it kind of worked I mean he's not the most technical player and, and he's certainly struggling to try and actually score a goal for United but he kind of is also having an effect uh, I think it allows Rashford to have that bit more freedom and a bit more um, space to run into so I, I thought it was a really entertaining game and, and two tactics at play the crowd was up for it um, so I, I think it really sets it up nicely I mean I think Barcelona will struggle with not having uh, Gavi and Pedri I think they're out of the second leg um, and United actually get Lisandro Martinez and Marcel Sabitzer back from suspension um, so yeah I think it's it's set up really for a, a potentially rousing night at Old Trafford and, and one that I think United fans will really get up for mm. Alright well a rousing performance of the weekend as well with that 3-0 victory over Leicester, who've been in quite the run of form coming into this game, with Rashford once again impressing. And also, another standout performance from a player who's had his critics in the past, De Gea. Mm. Incredible saves. I mean, he's equaled Peter Schmeichel's record for clean sheets, um, I think 180. There was some debate about uh, a clean sheet. There was some some statistical uh, workings out to, to decide whether or not he'd already passed it or not. But I think he, he came off in a game where they were they had a, a clean sheet and um, and so that didn't count as a, as a full game of a clean sheet. So there we go. He's got to do one more to go past the Great Dane. Um, but yeah, I mean, incredible saves. I mean, I thought his, his save um, at Crystal Palace, I'm trying to think who it was against, but was was his best potentially ever. And then he goes and produces two. Um, you know, the Harvey Barnes one, we're kind of sat there thinking that is a goal all day. Um, incredible reactions. And then the same for Kelechi and Acho's header as well. Um, sort of clawing it from behind him almost um, so yeah for all his faults in terms of playing out from the back and I'm sure Eric Ten Hag would probably ideally prefer a goalkeeper that could link play better than De Gea does um, I think in those crucial moments he has saved United 
quite a few points this season. Um, and uh, yeah, and then at the other end, that then gives them a platform. If, if they've gone behind in the game, then you know they kind of those, those familiar doubts creep in, don't they? Can they come back? But actually, they had that sort of you know platform. And, and as soon as you've got Bruno putting through Rashford, and he's in such incredible form that um, you go ahead in the game. And then from that point, the second half, they were there was only one team winning it. And I think Ten Hag himself said he, how angry he was in the first half at their performance. And you know I think he gave them a bit of a rollicking. Um, but by the end of the game, mm. he was conducting the crowd as he's walking off down the tunnel, sort of pointing to them, saying, telling we need you to show up on Thursday now let's you know get past Barcelona together and it kind of feels like it's there's a there's a momentum building that he's very much a part of at the centre of it all Crikey he's quite the figure isn't he like, you see both sides of Manchester you've got these kind of bald Euro tactical gurus who like to shift players into unexpected positions what do you think Laurie we had the question can Ten Hag's United chase down Pep City your call uh, yeah I mean, I've been kind of reluctant I think all season to 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 project them as as potential title challengers. Although we have got carried away on our podcast a couple of times, um, sort of saying that yeah they're right in the mix. I think there is fallibility about Man City, isn't there? So for all United's faults or the kind of idea that they haven't got the strength in depth. I mean the fact that they've got Valt Vegas, you know, a, a Burnley, you know, relegates, you know, someone who relegated with Burnley last season as like a starting and finishing a game. Uh, number 10 now it is um, as much as a centre forward it's kind of weird that you'd think that they could be in the conversation for the title but I mean Arsenal looked quite strong didn't they coming back against Aston Villa but again you know you sort of think can they drop points I think it does feel like there's actually three teams in this I think ultimately United will come up short I don't think they've got quite enough particularly with being in four competitions as well obviously they've got the Carabao Cup final on on Sunday still in the mm-hmm. FA Cup as well so um, I think that'll probably put paid to any title ambitions but it's it's exciting and it's certainly ahead of schedule for for what United anticipated this season Magnificent Alright well exciting times at United look forward to uh, catching up with you again soon Laurie thank you so much for today Thanks for having me on Ian Irving here host of the world's biggest Manchester United podcast Talk of the Devils brought to you by The Athletic of course it's the most exciting week of football for the club in years with another league victory teeing up the Barcelona second leg and the League Cup final on Sunday so make sure you join me Andy Mitten Laurie Whitwell and Carl Anker for this week's episodes there's Takeover Talk in there of course too just search for Talk of the Devils on Apple Podcasts Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts Laurie Whitwell. Well, a lot there. A lot there. Uh, da- uh, Daniel, you were also in, in Barcelona. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a fantastic game. The, the the first half was pretty rotten, which kind of lulled you into a false sense of security. It was one of the best second halves I've seen in many a long year. Uh, and from what Laurie was saying about the kind of strength and depth at United, they have scored more goals with substitutes than any other team in the Premier League this season, which... Given that last season, the end of last season, we were looking at that bench and thinking, I don't want to have to bring on any of these players. You look at the the starting eleven on at the weekend was, you know, Veghorst and Sabitzer are in there, but they're just low knees, and there's no player on the bench who was not a United last season. So they are Ten Hag is kind of making that squad look better than itself, I think, and it, it's creating this competition for places, which then creates this sort of manufactures this squad depth and yeah suddenly it looks like a squad's completely in tune with each other Tim what do you think can Ten Hag's United chase down City I'm not saying necessarily for first place could be to pip them to second yeah potentially it sort of reminds me of of the feeling that Arsenal have had this season you know a club sort of uh, rejuvenated uh, complete faith and trust in the manager and he's really he's really earned that trust with 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 the difficult decisions he's had to make this year, I feel like he's really reaping the rewards of, of making some tough calls in the first half of the season, you know, mm. with certain players. The Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh, when Rashford slept in, that's the one. Right, yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, that gotcha. one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he's been incredibly impressive, hasn't he? And, and with every tactical decision that Eric Ten Hag nails, the more belief the players will have in him that he's making the right calls. And I think that's really, really important. Um, the Veghorst at 10 is, is such an unusual shout, but it works, doesn't it? Because he's disrupting the opposition in central midfield at, the, at that sort of base. He's helping Manchester United regain possession cheaply in good areas of the pitch where they can then release Rashford in behind down the middle, which is which is where he wants to do his damage from. And I also thought the move to, to, to take Garnacho off and put Jadon Sancho in at 10 
behind Veghorst and move Rashford left just worked a dream as well because Sancho's a player that hasn't looked like beating a fullback in 1v1s ever since he joined Manchester United. But with this more aggressive, hostile Manchester United side, they're winning the ball back and creating space instantly. And, and he's playing a lot more instinctively from those central areas. I thought his goal was a thing of beauty. I really did with the one-two and then the, the way he opened up his body for the finish. So, yeah, bravo, Eric Ten Hag. He's, um, he, is, he has improved Manchester United so much over over this season, but, but also over the last, I'd say, six weeks or so. They're, mm. they're getting better and better. I remember when he joined and they were calling him Eric Ten Weeks. <laughs> Which the keys was, yeah. Was he? A shame, a shame and a surprise to see some pride before a fall from that man. Can, can, can I just say, just one negative mm. on the Sabitzer oh. challenge. I, come on, that... If that is not a red card, then then I never want to see a red card given ever where a player doesn't touch an opponent. We, how many times have we seen players slide in, supposedly recklessly with their studs up, and miss a player and get sent off for it? It's quite prison rules, wasn't this it? Is, this, this is a guy actually planting his studs on his knee. Yeah. I mean, absolute joke from Paul Tierney. Brutal. Adrian going in hard on Paul Tierney, almost as hard as Sabitzer did. At the weekend. All right. Well, they've, they've got a Barcelona, as mentioned. And as Laurie was saying, Carabao Cup final, of course, next weekend against Newcastle, who will be touching on next and their Saturday evening game with Liverpool. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Break on. Salah's galloping. Allison's kick is in the right direction. Oh, Pope. Oh, he's in big trouble here. Oh. He goes. It's all going Liverpool's way. Woo. Big week this for Liverpool. Facing Real Madrid again. That's Tuesday night. The past week, there was seen Klopp's side winning the Derby 2 0 against Everton and then handing Newcastle their first defeat in 18 matches by the same scoreline. Is their slump over. Well, the uh, victory, Tim, did you see the, the game against Newcastle Saturday night featuring the worst Pope decision since the, he pardoned all those Cardinals? <laughs> um, yes, I did, yeah. Yeah, a really good win for Liverpool and uh, they look like they're getting in a bit of a groove now and I think they're favourites to finish in the top four despite the fact that they're sort of six points off at the moment. Two gorgeous goals. I've got to say the assists for both. That Alexander Arnold chip for it's sort of like a bit of a it's like a golf chip that's sort of held up in the wind, and then Nunes crashes that volley. Sort of reminded me of that Bal- uh, the Balotelli one from the Euros a few years ago, okay. where he just completely lets fly full pelt, and then the way Salah picks out Gakpo's run, it, we've just not seen Salah do those kind of things recently. It bodes really well for Liverpool, who are obviously then very much given a helping hand. Um, by Nick Pope. Um, I, l- I love how all the talk before the game was, you know, are Newcastle distracted by the cup final? Mm. Are, are they thinking about it when they're playing games? And Nick Pope clearly was not thinking about the cup <laughs> final. <laughs> um, yeah, bless him. What, what do you think's behind Liverpool's uh, return to form then? Getting a few uh, injured players back. Um, Van Dijk's return is obviously very, very important. I mean, I saw them against Wolves a couple of weeks ago and... Honestly, it was amateur levels of, de- of defending. They looked completely at sea. This was in the opening minutes of the match as well. Um, 
Jota coming back is going to help as well. But Van Dijk, particularly with his aggression, his physicality and his leadership, are three sort of qualities that have really been missing from that team. Mm. I think also, I mean, the, the very rapid rise of Stefan Bajcetic, there's going to be a an interesting selection dilemma for Klopp on Tuesday because on current form, Bajcetic walks into that team. His role in that, in that second goal was just gorgeous. We've seen recently Rodri and, and Bubakar Kamara getting kind of caught as that defensive midfielder getting a sort of slightly rushed pass out of defence with someone coming he just opens his body and like guides the ball through and sets up a move within kind of like one and a half seconds it, he looks an incredibly technically proficient player for he's still only 18 but it's obviously a big call to play him against Real Madrid because probably the midfield with the most know-how in, in world football. So that will be really interesting because it, you kind of have to ride this one out, I think, of Jurgen Klopp. You have to say, look, you've done nothing wrong so far. You're completely on and up. Go for it. Do what you're doing. And yet, clearly, it's arguably one of the most important games of Liverpool's season. So I don't know. Yeah, he's, he's added um, athleticism, hasn't he, as well, to the engine room. No doubt about that. He's got those young legs to get around the pitch. But yeah, the way he received the ball with that back foot was was pure class. It's why you do all those drills during, you know, when you get brought up as a young player receiving it on the back foot. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, the Salah pass for me, one of the top five passes of the season so far. Absolutely superb. Plus the touch from Cody Gakpo because the ball's spinning. It's quite, a, it's quite an, uh, a wet evening as well. For him to control that the way that he did, I thought, I thought was magnificent. The one downer and the one doubt I have in my mind about Liverpool and this resurgence particularly with Real Madrid about to turn up at Anfield, is the number of chances that Newcastle created with 10 men. It, it's, it was crazy. Alisson was their, was their man of the match. Um, they ended the game, the Magpies, with a higher XG and with more shots than Liverpool. They had more touches in the box than Liverpool. They had more shots in the box than Liverpool. I think that, that Newcastle can take great heart, actually, from, from the way they performed with one man down. But, but for Liverpool... As much as the positives are exciting, I don't think they're out of the woods yet because a proper team doesn't concede that many quality chances. And I, I still think they've got improvements to make. Well, Real Madrid, the next test they face then on Tuesday night, they haven't beaten the Madrileños since 2009. They've had six meetings since then, five defeats and a nil-nil draw, losing the final to them in both 2018 and then again last summer in Paris. Real Madrid, the reigning world champions as well. After... Yeah, I, I, I do think that there's there's an argument that Liverpool currently are struggling against attacks who are very fluid and kind of pulling defenders out of position and playing on the counter, which isn't quite Real Madrid. Um, I think it, they're probably the profile of attack that, that Liverpool feel most confident against. Adrian's right about the chances they, they, they faced on, on Saturday and it was Alan Maximan's kind of trickery and individual brilliance that was that was key to that. Obviously, they've got very quick wide attackers, Real Madrid, but I wonder if having that kind of focal point striker might might help them a little bit, he says, before they, he goes to watch them lose 3-0 at home to Real Madrid. But, um, yeah, they're, they're in, you know, to use a very of-the-now football phrase, they are in a good moment because they, they needed those two wins because the season was basically, you know, two weeks ago, you looked at this Real Madrid tie and you said, well, that's Liverpool's season. And now you could almost say, well... If they, even if they go out of this, you could almost spin it as a positive and say, well, now it's all all on the top four race. And, and, and as Tim says, they're favourites for that now, which is remarkable given what we were saying a month ago. Wow. Football continuing to not respect the narrative. It's uh, Yeah, it's poor, really. It is poor. It is poor. It mentioned the uh, defeats against uh, Real Madrid in the Champions League finals. The protagonist of one of those will be getting a rare outing, it seems, next Sunday. Loris Carius, hero of the 2018 final for Real Madrid. And uh, due to be featuring in the Carabao Cup final against Man United, his first competitive fixture since February 2021, two years ago, when he turned out for Union Berlin against Hoffenheim in the Bundesliga. Not been in action since. Tim, that's a concern. <laughs> this update, just for yeah. anyone who missed it, mm. what did Nick Pope do to bring this sequence of events So about? Nick Pope was deceived by the flight of the ball as Alisson uh, 
kicked it out of his hands to try and find Salah from a quick release. Pope thinks he's he's going to come and claim the ball, but yeah, it, it's it's sort of the flight of it takes it off to the to the left hand side of the pitch as he's looking at it, and he sort of scrambles um, to get the ball. For some reason, he doesn't go with his with his feet, uh, and he sort of well, he tries um, to head it. I tries think. to head it, misses it, misses that, and then uh, and then decides to bring the ball in, but then yeah. realizes he's out by the halfway line. Yeah, ab- and there's 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 there are a couple of Newcastle defenders around but certainly not in a covering position it's mm. a very clear goal scoring opportunity I'm sure Salah would have scored not only did Pope uh, rule himself out the final uh, next weekend he also almost took Kieran Trippier out the final by absolutely hammering into him as he, in this in this sort of blind panic as, he's, as he sort of gets up to quite clear the ball he clatters Trippier I, yeah I, I, I do feel sorry obviously for Nick Pope but all this talk of let him play it's just nonsense. Like he, he, he knows the rules. People feeling sorry for him, let him play in the final. Come on, he absolutely should be banned. He, he deserves his punishment. There you go. Excellent. Also coming up in uh, Europe midweek, Inter taking on Porto, who are in quite the run of form. You know they've only had one defeat since September, Porto, and that was to the mighty Benfica, who are almost unstoppable this season. Anyway, they'll be at San Siro. That is on Wednesday. On Tuesday. You can see the very much almost unstoppable Napoli, who will be away at Eintracht Frankfurt. Napoli picking up yet another victory on the weekend, or on Friday night anyway, with Ozimen and Kvaraskelia scoring again. The KO partnership uh, doing that to Sassuolo. 15 points clear at the top of City, yeah. Anyway, we'll be talking about uh, the European action and all the stuff that happened on the continent at the weekend in Tuesday's Totally Football Show. Uh, next up, though, let's uh, let's hear about Chelsea, who were beaten uh, last week, of course, at Dortmund in the Champions League, and this Saturday in the Premier League by a Southampton team who hadn't kept a clean sheet what all season was it, Daniel? Away from home, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what yeah. a result this was for Saints, and, and and what a free kick it was that gave them the three points. It's Will Prowse. I was I kind of watched the free kick four or five times to kind of work out what I was going to write about it, and I basically just came to this conclusion that it doesn't. If James Ward-Prowse gets it right, and and it's a free kick on that slightly left of the box, twenty-five yards out, it doesn't matter what the wall does, and it doesn't matter what the goalkeeper does, and he doesn't even really have to put it in the top corner or in the corner. If he delivers what he does, it's just kind of him and the ball, and nothing else matters because if he mm. puts it where he wants with that whip and that spin, it's impossible to save. I know after the game, people were saying like, you know, put the man on the line and stop that. A, I'm not sure that works because it plays everyone on side and you can just cause carnage in a box. But B, we're talking about changing how people have defended free kicks in this country for decades and decades and decades because a Southampton central midfielder has basically completed it, which is (laughs) amazing. He's, yeah, he's a phenomenal talent. And yes, I know Chelsea were the bigger story and Graham Potter was the bigger story of that game, but... Oh, the love for James Ward-Prowse because he well, is Well, I mean, phenomenal. Saints are quite a big story themselves. Having having let y- y- your friend Nathan Jones go, uh, they, they come up against Chelsea and come up with that, that massive win. But, but Ward-Prowse, what he does, Adrian, I, I can't remember the last time he stepped up to a free kick and he didn't put it away. I'm sure there have been lots of... <laughs> but it seems that every time there's a free kick and he steps up, and he, 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 apart from that one in Nathan Jones's final game when they went for a a funny routine where he just passed it to a, a teammate yeah like he's got a very high success rate it, it's not 100% I can assure you of that mm. and there are plenty that what hit is the wall. His? do you know what his success rate is no I'd like to find out actually I might I might ask that question um, but but he's got a very high success rate he's one behind David Beckham now um, Beck's left for Real Madrid at about the same age that Ward Prowse is so in Premier League terms they're kind of level but you'd imagine that that Beck's had more free kicks at goal, given that he played for Manchester United, and they've probably spent more time in the opposition half. So, so he's right up there with Beckham. Um, absolutely fantastic exponent of the of the dead ball, and it comes down to practice. You're not born to be amazing at free kicks, as much as you want to believe that you're not. It's you've got to have obviously some natural ability, but most of of the brilliance that he produces is down to repetition and perfecting his technique. And, Although, and yeah, that, that, 
Did, didn't we hear with James Ward-Prowse that he doesn't practice his free kicks because he he wanted to maintain that tension? He, at least he, that, yeah, in in season, he, he yeah. likes to just do four or five a week yeah. because he thinks that okay. he can replicate it. But Adrian's right. There are years and you know, off months, and there are years in practice yeah. where he has practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced because you you don't get that good. It, it is as I say, he doesn't even have to get it in the corner. You watch the mm. number of his free kicks that are in right in the corner, and it's like you know it's less than ten percent of them because he doesn't need to if he does it with that pace. It's yeah, it is mad. I don't know what you do. Absolutely. Um, just a quick word on Ruben Sellis. What a debut for him. Um, looked smart, didn't he, in the technical yeah. area? Uh, he looked the part. Um, and he put a good plan in place. He simplified the tactics. He went with a narrow 4-4-2. That's the sort of approach that Southampton's players have been most used to under Ralph Hassenhartel. And he, he got them to, to work incredibly hard to be resilient and organised. We saw two two brilliant pieces of defending, one from Maitland-Niles with the block, and then one of the best goal line clearances of the campaign so far from uh, Perrault, mm. where he anticipates Sterling knocking the ball over the goalkeeper and he gets on the line. I loved his celebration. That was that was, that was was a, a, a wonderful thing for a defender to see. But yeah, well done to Celes. What a big, big day for him. Adrian, as a player, mm. I, for example, was really impressed when I saw this figure looming on the sideline looking... Uh, very sharp and Euro chic uh, there in his suit and kind of was it kind of like t-shirt turtleneck uh, ensemble very much looking like the the high the high end expensive managerial import as a player if you see that as opposed to former assistant in, still in his tracksuit does that have a bit of an impact on you zero absolutely zero I, mean, I can't believe that what difference does it make seriously like it doesn't it's what he they looks, say. It's what they say, James, not what they look like. <laughs> I reckon it's. I reckon these days it's it's so much about impressing your impressing your squad that you are you are a big cheese as well. I don't, I don't know. I think it it, it, it impresses the fans and it probably yeah. impresses us and we think, oh, he looks like he knows what he's doing. Yeah, but I'm I'm not I'm not convinced about that. Um, by the way, Graham Potter did give him a slight leg up, didn't he? Work by dropping. Thiago Silva, resting Thiago Silva, easily the team's best defender, and Reese James, mm. probably the team's best player. I mean, you take two, two of the very best out of your back four or back five, it's advantage to the opposition, isn't it? Mm. Tim, how, how toxic do you think the situation is becoming at, at Chelsea? I was reading a piece this morning uh, from Simon Johnson in The Athletic, looking at the form table, and we're not just talking a five-game form table here we're talking a 14 game form table so that's you know more than a third of the season and Chelsea's 16th in that form table so it's pretty bad to the extent that that Simon's querying you know can they get sucked into a relegation battle here um they've only won two games of those 14 no team in the Premier League has won fewer no one has scored as few as their eight goals in those 14 games I mean the, the numbers are astonishing um Graham Potter and others might might look to other numbers such as XG and chances created, which mm. are, which apparently you know are, are pretty good by all accounts. But um, but that's normal for Potter. There's exactly the same thing happened at Brighton. His numbers were always very good there. It was it was scoring goals that were the issue. So you know I admire the fact that he's trying to create this solid base and then work from there. And it's all looking to the long term. But this feels increasingly unsustainable to it, me. Unsustainable. Yeah, I, th I think so. I mean, well, you know, we, we don't know how, how Todd Bowley's going to act. It's, it's odd because, you know, he's... He well, we know he got rid of the last guy. That's it. He got yeah. rid of him very quickly. And, and you know, he comes across as, as quite, I guess, tr not trigger happy. Yeah, trigger happy. But also, you know, the way that they've been throwing money around, it doesn't it doesn't feel like every single decision has taken weeks and months to agonise over. But, um, but yeah, he's he's shown an incredible amount of faith in him. The last the last owner w would not have, have, have put up with this for this amount of time. We know we know that. Um, and the majority of other Premier League owners wouldn't as well. So you've got to say credit to, to him for sticking to his guns and sticking with Potter. But that's got to um, be rewarded with a couple of victories soon because, like I said, yeah, they're only heading in one direction. Mm. The, the Fafana call was one that, that will look really bad on him. When you've got someone like, well, OK, Aubameyang's not been in great form, but you've got Aubameyang in your squad. You've got Raheem Sterling. You've got Kai Havertz. You've got Madrid. You've just spent so much money on and others that can play up front, then you pick Fafana, you know, who's who's come from Scandinavia, looks very raw, 
in my opinion, doesn't look quite ready to make a big impact in the Premier League. When you when you put him up up top and then have to withdraw him fairly early on because it's going so horribly wrong, it's 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 not a great look. So so I do think Graham Potter and I rate Graham Potter, big fan of his work. I don't think he's helping himself at the moment with some of his selections. Needs a result soon. Who've they got next weekend, Tim? Tottenham Hotspur. Lucky them. Mind you, yeah. Who knows? Who knows what they'll get from well, Tottenham? Well, there's, there's a phrase that the Tottenham fans uh, use. I don't know how well-known this is. Um, uh, Dr. Tottenham, because uh, Dr. Tottenham will see you now if you're in a bad run of form. We'll talk say. Dr. Tottenham next on the Totally Football Show. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is the Totally Football Show, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. What's that, listener? You're in a hurry? So is Adrian. Adrian, where you got to go in 14 minutes' time? Handbrake off. I'm a, I'm a late sub for this one. Um, you? wasn't supposed to be here. but Oh, for, um, th- for this here? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm, I'm enjoying it. Him. Oh, good. Good. We'll ask you again. He said surprised. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very good. I said we would talk about Spurs now. And they're 2-0 victory over West Ham. Royale with ease. Mm. Uh, and also Sun. But, yeah. <laughs> I'd... I don't feel like I'm, you know, watching the fourth best team in the country week after week at the moment, but Spurs somehow find themselves in fourth position. You know, Newcastle are wobbling a little bit, Chelsea just not getting going, Liverpool are the ones that I'd be concerned about from a Spurs point of view. But at the moment, you know, despite the fact that I feel like a crisis is is never more than a day or two away and the injury problems they've had, you know, they're they're in there in in fourth place. Um, A couple of things to note from this game. One would be that... You can't call what you're going to get from Spurs at the moment at all. You know, me and Daniel were both at Leicester last week when they were absolutely atrocious. Um, but what you can say is if Antonio Conte isn't there and Christian Stellini, his assistant, is, is on the touchline, Spurs will win. Yeah. So not only has this happened three times this season, apparently, someone said in the press conference yesterday, this also happened three times uh, at Inter when Conte was banned from the touchline, or, or bannered, as he uh, so endearingly says. Um, and Stellini <laughs> won um, all three of those games. So he's six from six now. Um, and we were, I just did the Tottenham podcast this morning, and we were saying there must be something more into this than just coincidence. And I think there probably is a case of, you know, Conte is so all in and everything has to be done exactly to his instructions that mm. when he's taking a bit of a step back, the players are taking more responsibility and there's a, a slight... There's a slight amount of freedom there but honestly James when I saw the team selection for this game yesterday um, it was one of the most defensive I've ever seen so you know that they, they've got two full backs at wing back Spurs they've got two holding midfielders it's basically a back eight um, against at home against the team in the relegation zone but somehow a team who um, were probably quite happy to play for a nil-nil draw as well no exactly on, on the first half reflected exactly what we've just said there it was absolutely atrocious um, but yeah the second half Emerson Royale who's who's gone from this sort of slapstick, you know, bumbling buffoon character mm. who, who 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 plays no look passes <laughs> behind for goal kicks and, and has a shot at Bournemouth that, that that clears the stadium. Um all Spurs had to do to get the best out of him was spend forty million on on a, on a wing back in Pedro Porro because literally 
you know, as that was happening, Royale's completely transformed himself. Um, the only way I can describe it, as I've done in a piece today, is if is if Mr. Bean suddenly became like a hotshot, smooth-talking lawyer. Because he's honestly, he's gone from complete buffoonery to, to complete wing-back and took his goal yesterday like, like a true number nine, you know, head over the ball. It was fantastic. That goal assisted by Ben Davis, but the pass through from Pierre-Emil Hjoyberg. Is Was that in your top five passes of the season, Adrian? <laughs> um... No, because the degree of difficulty was a little bit lower, was but it? it was a very, very good pass. It no, it wouldn't be top five. Okay. Um, but, but I was very impressed. And on Huyberg, I'm glad you brought mm. him up. How important is he going to be for Spurs over the coming weeks and months? Obviously, they've lost uh, Bissouma to injury. They've lost Bentancur to injury. He, the, he had Skip as his partner the other day. There's Papessar as well. It, it, so much rests on his shoulders. He's, he's their best defensive midfielder and probably their best box-to-box midfielder as well. So he's going to have to do a lot of work um, over the coming weeks, Joyberg. But he is having a very, very good season. Um, just a quick one on West Ham. Mm, well, I've got a question actually about them, or at least Surdan has. Is the West Ham too good to go down team of 2003 better than the West Ham 2023 too good to go down team? It was, I think it was more talented, if memory serves me right. I can't remember who, who was in it, but it felt like the 2003 team had a few more gifted high-end individuals so yeah I mean this team could definitely go down Um, the issue I have with West Ham is the mentality under David Moyes when they were good last year David Moyes forgot about being a cautious manager he actually tried to go and score goals home and away Um, this season he's just playing damage limitation football home and away actually and it's detrimental I think to to the team his record away to the big six Played 26, won none. Lost 22, four points from a possible 78. You know, David Moyes doesn't win games like this. He always loses and he, he always loses them playing a pretty negative brand of football. Um, and So West Ham fans, I, I think, have a right to be a little bit fed up. Yeah, in the bottom three, Daniel. I can't believe, I, I don't like sort of campaigning for managers to lose their jobs and so I'm not going to do that but I will say that I'm very surprised that West Ham haven't haven't sat yet they spent 100 they spent 180 ish million since last the start of last summer they scored 60 league goals last season they've scored 19 this season and this is not like a a a, a sort of mini slump West Ham have taken over the last 40 matches in the league more than a season they've taken less than a point a game you know, you you might stay up with with thirty seven points out of thirty eight, which is what that record would get you. But you also might go down, and this squad is way, way, way too good for that. Mm. Although that's what they said in two thousand. Yeah. 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 Well, they're in the bottom three, as are Southampton still now three points from safety, and Leeds have dropped in there too. They were beaten one nil in a pretty big game potentially away at Goodison against Everton, the sack the board derby. Goal of the season from Seamus Coleman, do you think, Tim? Uh, one of my favourites from the last few years, I think. Really? Just, yeah, just, just so unusual to see a goal like that. A real moment of ingenuity, but also the identity of the goal scorer. I mean, he's he's scored one in four years, I think, something like that. Um, and, you know, he's had a bit of stick in the past couple of years from Everton fans who feel like he should be moved on for a younger model. And, yeah, full credit to him and Everton and, and Dyche I, f- I feel like they'll get enough of these scrappy 1-0 wins to stay up yeah. there but no it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a fantastic moment of skill he def- it definitely wasn't a cross I don't know why there was such a heated debate over that on, uh, on Saturday it was, it was 100% a shot mm. Le- Leeds have, have broken themselves because you know, last summer or last August I think it was Andrea Radrizzani the chairman said it is impossible that Leeds will be in the same similar position as last season where we're fighting relegation which suggests that he thought about it and thought it wouldn't happen which suggests some sort of expectation at which point Leeds are in a relegation battle and he doesn't seem to have prepared for sacking Jesse Marsh it was like that came as a surprise to him because they spoke to a few managers that haven't worked out whether on their terms or on the manager's terms and there's kind of positive energy towards Scupala from fans because basically because they thought, well, we played OK against Man United once, but they were dismal against Everton. They were so short of ideas. Like they've gone from kind of chaos under Marsh for better and for worse and largely for worse to, you know, an absence of any excitement against Everton. And that is not going to be good enough to keep them in the league. They're not good enough at defending to do that. Mm. Very fluid situation down at the bottom. As they say, they've dropped into the bottom three. Uh, Bournemouth got themselves a mighty win away at Wolves. 
Uh, all three sides, in fact, who were in the bottom three on Saturday got victories. So looking at the bottom half now, the bottom five are separated by just three points. Uh, that's West Ham, Leeds and Saints. And then you've got Everton and Bournemouth just above them. So, yeah, and even the teams above them are not far off. Who Who's safe, do you think? I think only no one below no one below Villa is safe yet. I don't think uh, Palace have not won this year. They 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 are generally pretty good against the worst teams, but mm. those Palace worst... are six points clear. They're in 12th yeah. Place. They've got hard games to come, and then they've got all of their in inverted commas gentler fixtures. But those fixtures now become six pointers, so they are a lot harder than they were in the first half of the season. So yeah, I don't think anyone from Palace down is safe yet. Yeah, mm. no, I'd completely agree with that. Definitely, it was a big win for Bournemouth because. They've got a tough run of games. I think they've got City, Arsenal and Liverpool to come in the next three. So they needed the three points there in the bag. I think Gary O'Neill did. And talking of top five lists and stuff, one of the best cuddles we've seen for a long, long time came from that steward. Yeah, that was a great cuddle, wasn't it, on Dwight, uh, on Dwight McNeil when he oh, was roughed the up. Scrap. Yeah. When he was roughed up by the, by the touchline there. Quite unsavoury, really. And, uh, yeah, shoved into the hoardings. But the way he, he gripped hold of McNeil to protect him, to shelter him, <laughs> I just thought was was a really sort of emotional moment. It was yeah, great. it kind of felt like it needed wind beneath your wings kind of playing underneath it. It's getting quite out of hand. And there will be repercussions from this, you would think. The my there are a few there who have lost their heads. Uh, Adrian, what are the other top four in your uh, top five cuddles? <laughs> you know, you can't spring that one on me. Well, you, uh, you, you started with... it. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, well, we'll we'll come back to you on that. So yeah, and and what a what a heartbreaking moment for Palace when it looked like they were on the verge of their first win in what feels like ages, only to see Brentford, kings of the late goal, uh, equalise there in what was pretty much the last the last moment of the game yeah I think Palace's big problem I wrote about it this week is that Vieira's been there 18 months and I think in their last eight league games they've played seven different combinations of forwards and shapes you know they'll either play one up front or they'll play two up front or they play 4-3-3 or 4-3-1 and Ayu or Eduard or Mateta or Zaha they'll all take it in turns and there's just no consistency at all and He's not really found an answer with any of it. There's a good chance that they win three games on the bounce against struggling teams when they come along and we all wonder what they're worried about and they finish 11th. But they've kind of slept-walk into this relegation battle. The, the league position hasn't changed much, changed much, but they're just getting closer and closer to that bottom group. Mm. Also this weekend, Brighton and Fulham swap places after Fulham continued their record of never having ever been beaten by the Seagulls in the Premier League. Mm. Um, just on the relegation, but I, 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 my blind faith tells me Wolves will, will be absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. But just one thing to note, and this this is why they might not be fine, is that a striker has not scored a goal in the Premier League for Wolves for coming up to a year now, which <laughs> must be potentially have never happened before in the Premier League. It's, it's coming up to twelve months. Jimenez, Diego Costa, and now Mateus Cunha. None, right. none of them have scored wow. a goal. In the Premier League, which is astonishing, but Wolves don't help themselves because you know in January they they tried to rectify this by signing Mateus Cunha, who hadn't scored a goal this season for Atletico Madrid, and they also signed um, Pablo Sarabia from PSG, who hadn't scored a goal this season for PSG. So um, they're not, yeah, they're not really helping themselves. Yikes! All right, Wolves currently three points above the drop. Mm. After that setback to the Cherries, who are one point above the drop. And that's how it stands after, uh, broadly speaking, 23 rounds of action. Give or take a game more or less here and there. Uh, We'll be back on Thursday uh, previewing the next round of Premier League fixtures. And, of course, before that, Tuesday with Rafa James, Alvaro and Julien will be looking at what's coming up in the Champions Europa and Europa Conference League. And what's happened in the various continental competitions over the weekend too so do join us for some of that or all if you fancy it listener for now many thanks for your company and to tim and to adrian and daniel and laurie whitwell earlier and producer jesse have yourselves a great week we'll catch up with you soon and for now it's goodbye 
You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.